on the news and why it matters. We are breaking down last night's debate. Uh, talk to all the gentlemen at the table about what stuck out to them and who is going to be the next one to go. I'm interested to see what you guys think about that. Uh, Mario Lopez apologizes already, is already backtracking on his uh, comments he made about transgender three-year-olds. The, the true comments, I mean. I'm sorry. The, the true comments. And uh, also, a new study that's out that says that humans are racist against robots. Obviously a lot to get into. Don't change the channel. It starts right now. Welcome to the News and Why It Matters. Uh, we've got a lot to get into, obviously. First, we want to thank our sponsor, Relief Factor. Um, Relief Factor is there for a lot of you who are just constantly living in pain. Um, I know, well, maybe not you, Aaron. Not yet. Aaron, Aaron's All the right. young one at the table. He's not reached the age like uh, the three of us have, which, by the way, welcomes special guest Kevin Williamson. Yeah. Author Kevin Williamson, uh, he's got this new book out that we are going to get into. The Smallest Minority, we're going to talk about this because this is a book that we really, really, really need to, to discuss, get into. Um, but all the three of us, we know what it's like when you hit that age where you just wake up and you've got a new pain. Yeah. In the back or in the hip. Well, sleeping's hard. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's you know. Hard. It's really are, hard on the body. <laughs> yeah, they're really hard on the body. Uh, it's funny, what do they say, two-thirds of people like who, that live in constant pain just kind of give up? That's yeah, the most depressing statistic to me. Do they just think like, well, this is life. Yeah. Well, they're like, oh, there's alcohol. That always helps. <laughs> uh, but no, Relief Factor, probably a little more healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably. Uh, it is 100% natural. So it's drug-free if you're trying all these prescription drugs that have all of these nasty other side effects. And then it's, kind, it's like, oh, it's kind of masking it, but kind of not. You got to try Relief Factor. 70% uh, of the people who try their Quick Start Pack go on to keep ordering more. It's working for the majority of people. It can work for you if you're in pain. It could be a lifesaver. Get the three-week quick, quick start pack for $19.95. You can go to relieffactor.com or you can call 800-500-8384. All right. Uh, a lot to get into. I am, I'm going to be completely honest. I had a meeting. A was, meeting? Oh, it was a meeting. Is it completely honest? So what was the meeting about? Uh, it was a meeting. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so by the time I got home, I did not. I watched part of the debate. I did not watch the whole thing. I figured why subject myself to something so insufferable if everyone else had already tweeted about it. <laughs> I That's love the that right attitude, right? That's yes. choice. That is actually a great choice. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did watch it, uh, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, it was, I would say, there, uh, the first one of this round I thought actually had some substance to it. They really kind of were able to dive into the policy differences, which is relatively rare in a big field debate like this. Um, but this one last night was really just everyone deciding the way to get myself on television is to yell at Joe Biden about stuff, um, which is not is actually pr probably yeah. a pretty good instinct. Yeah. Um, you go after the big fish. Um, it was interesting to see. I, I, there's a lot to cover through it, and there are a lot of, a lot of sort of um, things that I, I think you could take. But for me, I thought the most interesting thing is how this party seemingly, because Biden is the frontrunner, has sort of turned on Barack Obama. I mean, I, here's a guy with a 95% approval rating among Democratic voters. And they kind of seem to think he did a really crappy job all of a sudden. He might have lost the debate. Obama yeah. might have lost the debate. <laughs> he was. They were torturing, torturing this guy. I was really fascinated by that. You know, you know they're, they're basically saying... One of the big back and forths was Kamala Harris um, and, uh, you know, Inslee and uh, everybody going after Biden's health care plan. 
But Biden's health care plan is is Obamacare times like a thousand. Like they're adding the the big uh, public option into the into this, and it's going to massively expand a program that they told us was already going to solve all these problems. Right? Like this is their thing. They act as if like Donald Trump came in on day one and passed some hor- horrible right wing policy. They act as you know they really are talking about Obamacare as if it's, you know, this conservative solution. They also are saying people are dying. People are dying under the current law. Okay, well, it's the one that you guys passed, right? If you look at it, it's kind of an interesting inversion of the way Republicans do things, where Democrats tell themselves their guy won last time because he was a sellout. Whereas Republicans tell themselves their guy lost last time because he was a sellout. <laughs> right? It's like, you know, Romney, if he'd just been more hardcore, if he'd yeah. been more of a maniac, he would have uh, been president of the United States. Whereas the Democrats tell themselves the opposite story. I spent the evening reading Middlemarch, which is an old novel, and uh, then read the uh, coverage in the morning. And, of course, as it turns out, that truth often is stranger than fiction. It's a much more plausible story than what happened in the debates last night, which mm-hmm. were just kind of bonkers. Uh, I don't want to rehearse my anti-Trump credentials. I will just say I wrote a book called The Case Against Trump. I'm I remember not, it, yes. I'm not a Trump guy. It was mm-hmm. ineffective. I'm not a Trump guy. But I, I, I read these things in the morning, and I think, these people are crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he's going to beat them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how. I mean, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand on stage talking about how she's she's the one to be president so she can talk down to white suburbanites and explain what white privilege means. She's yeah. the voice of racial equality. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, and, you Ooh. know, it doesn't seem to be doing much for her. Whatever white privilege <laughs> she has keeps her at one percent for some reason, yeah. uh, which is it's not working out well. Um, but on the Obamacare front, I mean, I am really I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at this idea that here is a party that came in and told us this is how you solve health care. They said at the time it was a common sense solution. Basically, it was right from the Heritage Foundation. I mean, it was basically right from the Heritage Foundation. Um, and it was not going to, you know, it was nothing big. It was common sense. Now, Joe Biden, who wants to massively expand this program, he says in front of the cameras, look, there was nothing. Every, this was really progressive what we did with Obamacare. Uh, he's now trying. He's, what benefits him today is to say it was massively liberal, massively progressive. And so he's doing that in front of the cameras. They're hammering him because they, they don't think it's going far enough. They want to take get rid of private insurance. These are things that po- are polling in like the mid-20s nationwide, and they can't stop themselves. Yeah, the thing about Obamacare is it's neither massively conservative nor massively liberal. Mm-hmm. It's massively Swiss yeah. is what it is. It's basically trying to take the Swiss model of healthcare with the mandates and subsidies and graft it on the American system. And the difference is that Switzerland's full of Swiss people and the United <laughs> States is full of maniacs. Yes, you know? I've noticed. And, and Switzerland had like 99% compliance with their mandate. I think we ended up like at 27 or something mm, like that. Wow. Some just crazy number. But the, the healthcare stuff really got my attention because I'm sort of a fiscal nerd. I'm sort of a scold about this stuff. I pay attention to it. And, you know, the, the Medicare for all stuff, the conservative estimate is that it raises federal spending by 77% by itself. So the year that's enacted, we basically are just short of doubling federal spending. That's, you know, I, I kind of want to have a longer conversation about that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and maybe not with Gillibrand so <laughs> they much. They do not want to have a longer conversation. No, they sure yeah. That's pretty clear. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're right. It was, it's 30-something trillion dollars. And that, it, look, be honest about it, there's no way it's only going to cost $30 trillion. Yeah. I mean, you, you go into these numbers and, you know, this is the lib- this is the... This is the estimate they're comfortable mm-hmm. talking about on stage. Th- that is not the real estimate. I think we all know that. And not to mention the degrading of, of quality of health care. And then Sanders, who first said uh, on, on, uh, on the debate uh, last night or the night before last, said 
There is no one here who can defend the dysfunction of this system. It's like, this is your plan we're dealing with. I didn't want this. This is you guys who said that. Uh, and he's saying that, you know, look, we're going we're gonna to wind up pushing this, getting rid of uh, all uh, private insurance. Uh, we are going to push this uh, so far that it's really going to make the, the average socialist out there a little uncomfortable. And uh, that is an amazing place to be because they're admitting this on stage. And you've got to believe this is going to come back to bite them in the general. I'm not from the Rand Paul school of show me where in the Constitution it says you can do that. Sure, sure. <laughs> but really, we're going to abolish private insurance. Are we sure the government actually has the legitimate power to do that? Oh, That's a great point. What's interesting, too, to me is that, um, you know, you look at what these candidates are saying insurance companies are responsible for. Mm-hmm. And it's just Amazing. I mean, I heard them say um, that insurance companies are responsible for the opioid crisis. I'm like, they're not writing the prescriptions for these people (laughs) to go get these pills. I mean, it's like they they have the liberty now to just blame insurance companies for Mm -hmm. every single problem in the healthcare industry. I just have no idea how any of it works. Hey, God forbid anybody on stage defend private insurance companies. Oh, thank you. Right. I like their plan. That's the worst thing that you can say up there, apparently. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking about a, an industry with 6% profit margin. They, they make it mm-hmm. sound like it's so evil. I think mm-hmm. Brian Riedel said it comes out to something like $80 a person. Yeah. That's their yeah. profit. Yeah. $80 a person. And, you know, they act as if this profit motive is this evil thing and not the thing that has turned our civilization into what it is today. The profit motive is the reason billions of people are no longer in extreme poverty. The profit motive is a positive. Uh, Medication, a lot of times, is also positive. Uh, I don't know how profit and medicine have turned into this evil thing for Democrats, but it is. In, in defense of the communists, let me say this. <laughs> insurance companies are terrible to work with, right? They, they're tough I, I, I've written a number of times that if it weren't for insurance companies, banks, airlines, cell phone carriers, and cable companies, <laughs> the whole world would be entirely pro-capitalist. The world would be libertarian, Hayek, right-wing, Milton Friedman paradise. But those little five companies, those five industries enough are, are enough to sustain socialism on their own. Fair. But when you hear Elizabeth Warren saying it's not the insurance company's God-given right to be for profit, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. well, and, and kind of is. And, and Sanders said we he thought the a... bureaucracy would go down when we go to this Medicare for all system. It's like, well, step back for a second, you know, because we always have to ask that question. Uh, but in, instead, of, instead of this, what are you getting? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the alternative here? Yeah. And if the alternative is Bernie Sanders making my medical decisions, I'm. I, I, I am with you because I've had problems with insurance companies yeah. before, but I'd much rather stick with this than to go to that. I love them complaining about the paperwork with yeah. insurance companies. Because uh. when I've dealt with the federal government, they added about 10 million different like yeah. new paperwork when they enacted Obamacare. Yeah. Yep. They increased the regulations. Yeah. I mean, and look at the tax code. Think about filing your taxes. With, you know, what, what a nightmare that is. And then think about every single time you have any medical need, you have to deal with them. I mean, that is like That's why they're so focused on villainizing the current system and not focusing on how is ours going to work? Because we don't want people thinking about that because everybody knows if you really think about it for a few seconds, that's not going to be a great idea. Can we get into the the candidates specifically and how we feel like they all did? Oh, yeah, sure. So I did a a little quick uh, grade breakdown for those of you who are writing books or having (laughs) meetings. uh, Look at me more important (laughs) than these debates. Oh, yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, So this was kind of the night one breakdown, in case you happen to uh, miss it. It's at World of Stew on Twitter is where I posted all of these. I 
thought Williamson and Delaney did very well. You kind of go down the list at the bottom, Ryan and Hickenlooper. You know, Klobuchar, I'm surprised, has been as bad as she has been. I thought mm-hmm. she actually had some potential to make a run at this. I'm starting, not, I'm starting to doubt myself on that one. But she's still sort of a prime VP candidate if she doesn't massively mess up. Uh, night two, uh, what do we have first? We have uh, Tulsi Gabbard at A-. Yeah. I mean, you know, Gabbard has done well in both of these debates. Yes. She comes off, I think, as one of the most more serious candidates, even though her kind of history and viewpoints, interesting would be a good word to describe uh, her, her history and viewpoints. As the female at the table, can I just say she looked amazing? Yes, I can't such say a it, good, but you can. Such a yes. good wardrobe choice. She looked great. She, she looked, looked like an angel. <laughs> she just had this aura about her. And she was Joe Biden's angel, by the way. Yes. We, as we talked about on the preview show, Gabbard is going to run interference. She wants a VP slot or a Secretary of Defense slot. Uh, so, And she did that very effectively mm-hmm. last night. That's why she had, had her at the top of the heap. Castro, I had a second with a B. He's forgettable, but he's competent. You know, he can get through his points. He's a little boring, uh, and he's very extreme in my view, but also pretty competent as a debater. He can get to it the points he needs to. Andrew Yang, uh, again, he pretty much says the same thing every time. He's like, you know, you know, he's like the radio station that plays the same song at the top of the hour every single hour. He, <laughs> everything he brings back to the uh, universal basic, basic income which also was polling in the mid-20s nationwide. But he at least was effective this time and was able to jump in and get some time. Mm-hmm. Um, Kamala Harris, C+, much worse than her last debate. She was great last time, was pretty mediocre this time at best. Um, Joe Biden was better than he was last time. But again, you know, he's still middle of the pack. He, if he can continue to do that sort of thing, he'll probably have a good chance of winning the nomination. He doesn't have to be spectacular. Uh, he's, he's got a big lead. He's got a lot behind him. Uh, but he was only mediocre. Cory Booker, I think I'm out of the step with with everybody else on Booker. Everyone thought he did a good job. I think he's insufferable. I, I, he really I, is. I agree. Every sentence he says, I feel like I've seen him practice it in front of a mirror 12 times. You know, Since he was 14. <laughs> Since he was 14, right? So it's, it's incredible that he could still be so bad at it. Yeah, he's just, <laughs> it's, it's overacting. Did you I, like his Kool-Aid line? Oh, Kool-Aid line was... Worst. Awful. What was Awful. Line? He said, in my community, we have a saying, you're dipping in the Kool-Aid and you don't even know what flavor it is. Uh, <laughs> What's the worst? Oh, no. like, I can't, what what is the downside? Is I don't know who says that. The downside is you have, think it's orange Kool-Aid and it's grape. They were both delicious. <laughs> I don't even understand what the downside of this is. Um, by the way, is this a saying in I've never your heard community? No, not my community. Okay. Apparently, Cory Booker probably come from different communities. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Jay Inslee with a... You were at Oklahoma City. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the same thing. Exactly. all the same thing, essentially. Uh, Jay Inslee, a D plus. I mean, he, look, he's... It, the one thing I gave, the reason I didn't give him an F is because every other candidate on stage uses him for climate cred. Like, they're like the climate street cred. They're like, look, my policy is the same as Jay's, and Jay's fantastic. Well, you keep telling us this is the most important thing in the world. If Jay has the best plan, why aren't you picking Jay? And, of course, the reason is that he, you know, they don't actually think it's as vital, I guess, as, as maybe they say it is. Gillibrand was really bad. She sort of stood out a little bit. Um, the white privilege thing is just a disaster. Uh, she's she's rough, man. She's got to just drop out of this thing. Michael Bennett had some really good points. I made some moderate points that I think a lot of people in the audience would agree with. But I still give him a D because he's just not good at this. And, and he, you know, unlike the first debate where, like, Delaney really made, I think, he was able to focus the, the debate on, hey, it's okay to be moderate. Bennett just comes off as is 
is you know a little stiff, and he just doesn't pull it off as well. Mm-hmm. And then Bill De Blasio. I mean, there's no surprise to see Bill De Blasio at the end of a list. Uh, <laughs> I gave him a D minus. I mean, he made a little bit of noise, but he he started up. What is the website he started up? Like taxthehelloutoftherich.com oh, yeah. or yeah. something. He said that twice. Yeah. Oh, he is insufferable. Oh. So you didn't, if you want to be Mussolini, anybody. you have to make the trains run on time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You didn't give anybody an F, did you? I didn't. I have in the past debates. That's so nice. Um, I, uh, I, this one, I was a, I was a little. I mean, I could have given De Blasio an F. The reason I gave him a D minus is because his job at this point is just to be noticed. Mm-hmm. He needs to get to two or three percent to make it to the next round. So at least he was noticed, though he was noticed for being awful. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, up next, we're, we will wrap up our analysis of the debate and also talk to uh, Kevin Williamson about his new book. Stay with us. Anyone disagree when you guys didn't see it? Nobody, nobody watched the thing. You can't disagree. I watched it. Before we get back into it, I want to thank our sponsor, realestateagentsitrust.com. So uh, no pressure if you are looking to buy or sell your house. It's just, I don't know, like the biggest investment you're ever going to make in your life. Uh, your real estate agent, turns out, is really important when it comes to that. Yeah, I think that's a probably a positive step to mm-hmm. have someone that you actually do trust, that actually knows how to do a real estate transaction and not screw it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's you should be able to get those basic things. But I do think that there's a level of just sort of blind faith that we have in the system where it's like, well, any real estate agent should be fine. Right. Uh, and that's not true. No, not no. True. And there's so many of them out there who like they dabble in it. Mm-hmm. They do it part time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're your friends, nieces, sisters, brothers, pet sitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what you want. You, you got to know where to find a good real estate agent, a real estate agent that has been vetted by Glenn and his company. Uh, you can go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Like I said, they vet all of their real estate agents for, you know, their expertise. Um, they've been doing it for long enough that they know the area. You can trust that they're going to put you in somewhere safe with your family. Um, and they're not they're not the part timer. They do it full time. So you're, you can go to realestateagentsitrust.com. They have got one located where you are at or where you are moving to. They can help you. Um, wrapping up the, uh, the debate, um, I want to get into uh, a couple different uh, individuals. Number one, Andrew Yang. Mm. Yang gang, right? Yang gang. Um, he, he brought it. Okay. Yeah. But he did say some things that, you know, you kind of go, ah. mm-hmm. That's the uh, namely, guarantee. <laughs> namely on, uh, on climate change. Let's listen to what he had to say. The important number in Vice President Biden's remarks just now is that the United States is only 15% of global emissions. We like to act as if we're 100%. But the truth is, even if we were to curb our emissions dramatically, the earth is still going to get warmer. And we can see it around us this summer. The last four years have been the four warmest years in recorded history. This is going to be a tough truth, but we are too late. We are 10 years too late. We need to do everything we can to start moving the climate in the right direction, but we also need to start moving our people to higher ground. And the best way to do that is to put economic resources into your hands so you can protect yourself and your families. Aaron? Yeah, he's literally saying it's over. Like, the earth is dead, so mm. go to the mountains. I thought we had like 11 and a half more years. I thought years. we had 12 years. That's what they've been telling us. And now all of a sudden it's 10 years too late. So he kind of went far to the left of even Jay Inslee on this situation and said it's over. So I'm kind of wondering, well, what are we even talking about now? I mean, if it's if it's over, is climate change really the most important thing? Or should we just start packing up and moving Open up the with our $1,000 yeah. a month? Yeah. yeah. You notice how he brought that back around. Yeah, that was like, you know? he, he, he was amazing at doing that last night. Is, is he, Was he literally saying we're moving to 
actually higher area, like elevations? That's or was he saying like, like we need to elevate our politics or something? I think he was talking literally about moving. I do too. You know, I have more or less conventional views about climate change. It's unpopular among conservatives, but I'll believe mm-hmm. that they believe it when I can afford a house in Malibu. Yeah. Because the market is not saying it's expecting climate change. Real estate prices are not going down in South Florida. They're not going down on the California coast. Mm-hmm. not going down on all sorts of private islands and stuff around the world. So uh, I, I will give Yang some real credit here because it's one thing that, that is, is never mentioned and should be focused on, which is we're 15%. And by the way, it was 20% not too long ago. We're 15% of global emissions. And so to give you a nerdy breakdown of this, about one-fifth of our emissions come from the transportation sector, which means when they're telling you to buy a hybrid, think of this for a moment. If you were to turn off literally a switch of our entire uh, transportation sector, you would cut global emissions by 3%. That is not something that is worth even entertaining. Yeah. We are talking about larger projects like nuclear energy or something that could actually address it as a wider scale. It's something important, but remember that China is growing emissions by about 15 to 2% per year. So even if you turned off our entire transportation sector, that would be wiped out by China's gains in two years. These are We are focusing on things that make absolutely no difference. Even if everything that Al Gore has said about the science is completely perfect, our focus is in the entirely wrong direction. We joke about, you know, Andrew Yang saying this extreme stuff, but this is the kind of thing that moves the conversation in the Democratic Party, and it's the kind of thing that they'll use to say, this is an emergency, we need to take executive action or whatever to do the Green New Deal. And that's the kind of conversation where it starts as a joke, but it sort of mm-hmm. seeps through to the other candidates as they each try to compete with each other to be the most progressive on an issue. Yeah. Um, what did you think, Aaron, of the the questions that were asked of the candidates? Did you think that they were, they were fair again? I thought CNN actually did a better job than I expected of yeah. not making it easy on the candidates. They pitted them against each other. They forced them to defend in their policies, and it's clear that the candidates don't like that. And so every time a moderator would say, um, you know, don't you think it'll incentivize illegal immigration if you give them free health care and decriminalize it? They say, we, we need to stop these Republican talking points, you know. We, yeah. If you, and then uh, they would come back and, and avoid, they try to avoid the question, they'd they come back and check with them again. They made Elizabeth Warren admit it, that mm-hmm. she wanted to decriminalize the border. Uh, she yeah. did not want to admit it. She, she ran around it a million times, but she did eventually admit it. And it's like, they, they're going to have to run against Trump at some point, so they're going to have to answer these questions, and they're, they're sort of trying to get around the hard questions of how do you pay for this, or what is the result of that, and at some point that's going to come back and bite them, because there is a general election coming up. Yeah, dismissing the other side's arguments, as just, well, that's part of their talking points, is, is, is the dumbest way to go about about doing things because right now there are a lot of Democrats talking about trillion dollar deficits and they're complaining about it, which is a Democratic talking point, but it's also a fact. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, are trillion dollar deficits, and it also probably would incentivize people if you de- decriminalize border crossings and give them various kinds of benefits. I don't think you can just dismiss that as saying, well, that's what the other side is saying, because if the other side is saying what happens to be true in this case, which is rare enough for Republicans, <laughs> um, you know, maybe, maybe force them to deal with it and not just run away from it that way. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. All right, Kevin, the smallest minority. It's out. Yes. Uh, Give us your hook. Why are people so crazy? Uh, well, <laughs> I already love it. Question. If you are kind of wondering why it is that people are engaging in this performative, hysterical outrage when it comes to politics rather than having something more like a normal conversation and where this behavior comes from and what it means for our politics, that's really what the book is about, the ways in which it's seeping over into the real world. 
And uh, then there's also a lot of funny, borderline unpublishable profane stuff in there that I'm <laughs> surprised they actually brought the book out in its current form. So not one for the kids. The footnotes are pretty rough in points, but um, <laughs> if they really are. You are really wow. sad. I am sell, so yeah. excited. The footnotes yeah. are, are, are brutal. And um, <laughs> so I, I kind of annotate what I'm actually thinking as I write the book down yeah. there, and I just sort of left it in because I thought it was fun. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a fun book for that reason. And uh, if you have a feeling of contempt for this this mode of politics and this mode of discourse i think you'll enjoy the book and if you don't have a feeling of contempt for this mode of politics you should <laughs> and uh you can read the book and figure out why uh i like some of these here uh these these quotes in the back yes jeffrey goldberg editor-in-chief of the atlantic <laughs> and that's why he can't work here yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have paul krugman from the new york times truly reprehensible oh congratulations thank that's, you that's yeah, quite that's the a, achievement and the National Review, Rich Lowry, unemployable. Unemployable, yes. <laughs> From my current employer, yes. So Rich says the National Review strategy is to make their uh, make all their best writers unemployable by their publications. So we'll have to come back if we ever try to leave. Perfect. That's There's funny. Okay, so where, they can find it on Amazon, Amazon, everywhere. Barnes and Noble, all sorts of places. Probably garage sales soon enough. <laughs> Stop it. Happen. The smallest minority out now by Kevin Williamson. Go get it. We've got a lot more coming up in overtime. Make sure to tune in. So funny. That was good itself. I know. I'm like, I can't. Up next, enjoy bonus overtime content from the news and why it matters. Available exclusively for podcast listeners and Blaze TV subscribers. Not a subscriber? Start your free trial at blazetv.com. Right, we talked yesterday uh, on the show about Mario Lopez and how he dare say that it was dangerous to allow, oh, I don't know, your three-year-old child to decide that they were transgender. Mm. Um, he, of course, got immediate backlash. People were saying he should be canceled, which makes me feel really old because I'm like, I don't understand what that what means. Fired. It went from fired to sacked to canceled so canceled. fast. Sounds yeah. more severe. Like, you're not yeah. just losing your job. Like, your life is canceled. Yeah, yeah you're just can't, like, be eliminated. Terminated. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still exist? Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I just you just disappear? I don't know. Ontologically uh, erased. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, the what the human rights, whatever the hell yeah, that organization right. was, that came right. out and said that his comments were insensitive and ignorant and dangerous. He immediately caved to uh, the outrage mob and said, the comments I made were ignorant and insensitive, and now I have a deeper understanding of how hurtful they were. <laughs> I have been and always will be an ardent supporter of the LGBTQ community, and I am going to use this opportunity to better educate myself. Moving forward, I will be more informed and thoughtful. I. He didn't say what about his comments was no longer true. Right. Right. Said, right. You know? right. Just it's said, just now I understand that I hurt people's feelings. Basically, people got mad, and now yes. I don't want them to be mad at me anymore. Yeah, Stu, do you think that that's going to pay off apologizing for that? It might uh, in this particular case because you know Mario and I, I give him a pretty wide berth. Just you know, normally I get really annoyed at celebrities or commentators when they apologize. I've I've never heard I've never heard Kevin apologize for anything. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> apologize maybe, maybe for things where an apology has been appropriate. Yeah, exactly there right, but you don't apologize when you're right. You don't apologize when you when you actually did state it the right way and everyone's complaining for no reason. Um, and I think like the thing with Mario Lopez though, it's a different category, right? It's not. It's he, he is intentionally not involving himself in this debate. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to involve himself in this yeah. debate. He's not a political figure. He's not a political guy. He's a he's a host, right? A host of shows where he's like describing reality events and entertainment. Like 
for if a, a guy who is not up enough on this to know where these lines are, you know, he should just he should just be completely forgiven for whatever he's done. I don't think he did anything here at all. I mean, he's completely right on on his comments, but. Normally, I would be more pissed off at someone who's like, oh, well, I totally folded him. So sorry. Like, that's probably what he should do. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I, I hate, I hate to sound like the guy, by the way, who's sitting at home in his tweed jacket, smoking his pipe. But who's Mario Lopez? Uh, <laughs> wow. AC wow. Slater from Saved by the Bell, first of all. Yeah, I've never seen a single episode of that. No, he hosts um, Extra, I guess it is, right? Yeah. Extra beca- on he was, you know, from the kids show, uh, from Saved by the Bell back in the day. He's turned himself into sort of like a Ryan Seacrest type yeah. of guy, right? Like, okay. he's, he's hosting all these shows. He's an entry. He's an innocuous entertainment figure. And he said it on the Candace Owens show when he was asked about it directly. Yep. So it's not like he's going out just making Which statements. I still haven't, right. and I need to watch it, but I still haven't figured out how did they get to that topic to with that. Mario Lopez? Like, <laughs> what, what was going on there to where he needed to speak on transgender three-year-olds? Well, it's how, a topic of every en- conversation. Of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> how do you enjoy working uh, as a television host for Extra? Oh, also, what do you think about uh, transgender three-year-olds? She might have set him up for failure on that one. He probably did not <laughs> want to talk about that. When oh, he went on I bet that's true. And, and, and I will say the result of this type of thing is that guests like Mario Lopez won't come on shows like ours, won't mm-hmm. come on The Blaze, mm-hmm. won't talk to Kevin Williamson because they're worried they might get, you know, cornered into this thing. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure Candace was just asking a question that seems so innocuous. A three-year-old, she's using even a ridiculously exaggerated right. example where no one could possibly disagree that a three-year-old is making life decisions of value. Yeah. Still, that comes back to bite you. And it's like, I, if I'm in that world, the last thing I want to do is get into another one of these debates about, you know, you know, transgendered issues. I just want to bail on it and let me go do my stupid show. Do you Kevin? know how you're about to say something wrong, by the way? Wow. When you say no one could possibly disagree right. with Xbox. <laughs> yes, they could. Do you feel yes, like, too, that this this story kind of ties in uh, to your book, Kevin? Sure, yeah. And thank you for the uh, awkward segue. <laughs> I always appreciate those. Yeah, so um, one of the things I get into the book, uh, one of my little side arguments anyway, is that this culture of hysteria and performative outrage and conformism and, and political homogeneity is really less of a problem for people like me who are professionally in the controversy business. I mean, it's kind of a you know mm-hmm. occupational hazard, but there are a lot of people who aren't, who get caught up in the same thing, and simply because they get put on the spot about something they haven't really given too much thought to, or, um, or they say something that sounds to them entirely innocuous, uh, or they try to enforce a Starbucks company policy at a store in Philadelphia and it yeah. gets caught on a camera and they end up losing their jobs for it, um, those sorts of things. So, you know, it's, um, one of the things that's misunderstood about all these phenomena is that, um, we take the Google case, right? Think about the Google situation with that guy, James Damore, James Damore yeah. and there's another one that guys got fired, he's filing a lawsuit. It's not about punishing James Damore for having non-conforming political ideas. That's, that's a bonus. It's about showing that you have the power to make a big company like Google jump when you say jump. Mm-hmm. And that's what all this stuff is about. Now, a lot of these things, particularly in, in big media like that, the, the Twitter outrage mobs are sort of cover for things that's going on inside. Like when they fired Roseanne Barr, I guarantee you there's no executive in America making these multi-hundred million dollar programming decisions based on what Caitlin327 at Twitter.com right. has to say about something. But it provides a pretext for it. Mm-hmm. And so if you've already got an internal political dynamic where you've got people you want to get rid of or sanction in some way, then these uh, festivals of outrage, these uh, theatrical episodes, provide some pretext for that and some cover for it. Yeah. Um, Aaron, particularly, uh, I was troubled by the fact that Mario Lopo- Lopez said that his comments were ignorant. Yeah, and that's the thing. is like, 
you need to get into the substance of it a little bit because I think that he was right. I think he was reasonable that three-year-olds should not be making decisions about their gender identity. Hmm. And so I mean, that's, that's, that's not a like controversial right. thing to say, I'm, right? I'm probably going to get canceled, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm not that famous, so I don't have to worry about it. But to say that and just to bail out of it and say it's ignorant and leave that there, that just adds to the narrative of you can't say these things. You can't have a, you know, a differing opinion about or a, a traditional opinion about mm-hmm. gender without getting attacked. And it just every time somebody does this and says something and then bails on it like that, I mean, it just makes it harder for somebody to have a differing opinion and the conversation becomes impossible to have in the public square. Yeah, although they were ignorant in a very literal sense that he had no idea how people were going to react to mm-hmm. this. That's true. If he knew that those, con- those comments would be received in the way they were received, he would have just said, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's oh, true. Yeah. smiled and done whatever he did. Well, and that's, good. that's the result of it, right? People just yeah. start doing that more and more often, which is, you know, not that anyone cares about the health of discourse anymore, I guess, but it's like that does ruin Some it. Some of us write books about it. I know. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, you think of it, it's kind of, it's kind of um, and this will sound a little bit inflammatory, it's, it's not terrorism in the sense of murdering people, but it works along the same lines, right? So you keep making examples of people until people start to duck just out of habit, yep. until people learn not to do the thing that they've seen uh, bring these results down on other people. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's more about um, the role of institutions than it is about the role of individuals, I think, because no one really cares what Brett Stevens thinks about X, Y, or Z, not enough to get that upset about it, or me, or Sarah Jong, or this guy that I don't know who he is, mm-hmm. or, um, or, or people like that. But they, do care, <laughs> but they do care about exercising political power over big corporations, and they do care about using employment now as an mm-hmm. instrument of political discipline, mm-hmm. where if you can't satisfy the demands of the HR department of the Fortune 500, then you can't really work or you know, be a person in having a normal kind of life. And that's a really weird place for progressives to be because they've always positioned themselves as being the check on corporate power and being the great mm-hmm. you know, counterbalance to uh, business power. And now they essentially want to deputize the Fortune 500 to be the enforcers of uh, what's acceptable uh, political discourse in the country, which is going to end badly. Yeah, I, I, that's fascinating. I, I, let me ask you cause I, about the terrorism point, because I think yeah. I, I, I completely agree with it. Um, when we going through sort of the Glenn Beck saga that, that we've been through over the past, you know, gosh, 20 years almost now, um, one of the things when we first kind of got into the, you know, the big radio show started, we started getting attacked by Media Matters, this organization, mm. um, which, you know, you may be familiar with, Kevin. <laughs> Actually, I had a conversation once with this poor Media Matters person whose job was to follow me. Yeah, yeah. So, like, she had to read everything <laughs> oh, really? I wrote. Like, I don't want to read everything I wrote. You've got the saddest job <laughs> I've, I've ever heard of. You've got the worst job in left-wing hackery. I don't know. I actually think they may have that beat in that they have now one full-time person who actually looks at all of Donald Trump's tweets and then tries to tie it to a segment on Fox News. That's their job. <laughs> oh, man. That is a pathetic That's existence. bad for your mental health. I would, exactly. rather, I would rather be holding a PETA sign in front of a Benetton somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but, you know, when we started with them and they started, you know, at first, the first couple of times you get hit by like an organization, like what the hell's going on? Like, it's like you're terrified. And over time, it just becomes part of the daily, daily existence. But the terrorism thing is such a great example because they never minded 
sacrificing their own you know, zilches of employees, right? These people are like, okay, well, they're, they're paying somebody $22,000 a year. They, they're dispensable. So when they came out and would lie about people, that would be kind of their defense of like, oh, it was some editor. They did it to, to me in which they completely edited out a point I made and had to uh, uh, eventually apologize mm-hmm. because it was, I was making a sarcastic point and they just eliminated the point where I told you about the sarcasm. Um, and and, and, and it's very similar. I think they're using social media the same way. Look, it's not us. It's this outrage. So we don't have to make the decision. These people, all these random people that we have no connection to made the decision that this was bad. So therefore, we have to act. They, there's no responsibility. So they're able to use all this power without any of the actual responsibility of, uh, of ex- exercising it. And that is a... That feels like a real downhill sort of uh, trajectory. Yeah, I think the only counter to that is for institutions to stand up for themselves and institutions have enough self-respect to do that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, things like you know the university campuses don't have that. Mm-hmm. One of the few institutions that really has to tall in some of this, uh, and I've, I've, I've been quick to praise, is the New York Times, where whether it's Brett Stevens or Barry Weiss or Sarah Jong, they've had these you know ginned up outrage mobs from the left or from the right. And they've said, you know what, we're the New York Times. We hire who we like, and we hire them for the reasons we do. And if you don't like it, there are lots of newspapers out there. And we may be the failing New York Times, but we still get, you know, a few million dollars a year in, uh, in well, actually a couple hundred million dollars a year, I guess, in uh, subscription revenue and whatnot. And we think we can live off that. Fine, we're going to do what we want. I feel like I heard that same sort of statement from The Atlantic at one point. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. After. Well, you know, I you know, uh, can't use the word I want to use to explain it. But one thing about The Atlantic, that, that, that thing that really bothered me is that yeah, so they've got Lorraine Powell, who's the widow of the late Steve Jobs, behind them now, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it's a globally significant amount yes. of money. <laughs> you can afford to hire an unpopular writer. Yeah. 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 You can afford to lose an advertiser or a couple yeah. subscribers. I feel like that was their initial answer to, to, the, to the thing with you. They were like, you know, look, we hire all different people and we don't agree with everything, but we want people who are interesting and coming up. With, and then it was at some point, that was the left and the and the mob was able to dissolve that. Yeah. I, it did seem like at least at the beginning that they they understood who, you know who yeah. you were and what you wrote. You know they they, they understood it. it was one of the secret, uh, you know? right. There's exactly. a senior editor there who's very very left wing, but an older person, and so it's sort of more sensible. And she said, well, I don't understand this. We knew you were a right-wing monster when we hired you. <laughs> I thought that's why you were here. Do you put that on your resume now? I just put the Paul Krugman thing on. <laughs> that's even better. Yeah. All right. Uh, last night's poll question, uh, who won night number one debate? Who won the <laughs> first Democratic debate? This is unfair. So proud. This is unfair. I'm so proud. Mm-hmm. My girl, Marianne Williamson, 66%. <laughs> last hurrah, so enjoy All right. It. Oh, Stop wow. Stop my dreams, wow. Aaron, yeah. please. Uh, John Delaney came in second, 22%. Elizabeth Warren, 7%. Bernie Sanders, 4%. I would agree with that. Not that I'm biased or anything. I mean, yeah, I think it's, you know, look, the fact that Williamson and Delaney are even on the poll options is a real win for them, right? It's huge. Yeah. probably true. Yeah. It's huge. I kind of think her numbers might be a little depressed by, you know, her name is Williamson and people think she's me. Maybe. <laughs> That's right. No, no. <laughs> but if she were Fred Williamson, that would be cool. There you go. <laughs> uh, and then today's poll, who is losing the Democratic debates the most overall? Mm. Your options, interesting options. You've got Biden, mm-hmm. which is... I don't think we can say Biden's losing. Harris, Gillibrand, or America? Oh, my gosh. Well, you're missing a huge one here, which is Beto. I, mean, I know. It would have oh to be Beto if, if he was included. Maybe that's why they didn't include it. Because they're like, <laughs> that's too easy. Too it's too easy. It's too easy. Gillibrand is a problem. I mean, she was not horrible in the first debate. She was really bad in the second one. Uh, you know, I, uh, I mean, Biden, 
has not helped himself in these debates, but he's not mm. destroyed himself either, um, which is really the only standard he needs to hit. He's winning by 15 mm. points. Just don't kill yourself. Right. I tend to think Harris has a hard time getting through the primaries because she's a cop, mm-hmm. in a party that doesn't really yeah. like cops. Mm-hmm. She got beat up uh, by did. Gabbard last yeah. night. But if she gets through, I think she's the toughest potential opponent for Trump. I think she's very smart. She's a very good politician. She kind of is ruthless in the right sort of way. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I were the people advising Trump, which, thank goodness, I'm not, but um, she's the one I'd be most worried about. I agree. What do you think, Aaron? I think I want to write in that Obama is losing. <laughs> he's getting abused yeah. almost every question. Aaron's writing in. Right Aaron's writing in something else. Uh, Biden's what uh, last remarks. Oh, I've the, closing the, statement. Oh, God, I loved His it. closing statement was great. <laughs> But there was a there was the the very last yeah. sentence of it was really odd. Let's watch that really quick before we go. Do we have that? If you agree with me, go to Joe three o three three o and help me in this fight. Mm. Thank you very much. I on his face of confusion, not <laughs> knowing what so I'm reading. The senile. I saw thinking. This is the zip code for Atlanta. <laughs> Are you moving your campaign? Are you Let's go ask for Joe's and Biden's southern you strategy? <laughs> well, that's what I read. One one uh, tweet said, "I think Joe Biden just gave us his Xbox li- Xbox Live name." <laughs> He's um, reaching the young voters there. Yeah. yeah, they're like, "Is that his website?" Which apparently, then someone quickly went out and bought. Yes, yes. of course. Uh, I will say too, like his actual closing statement and his opening statement were both very good. I thought he did a good job with them. And at the end, first of all, he said, oh, we can't take eight more years of Donald Trump, which is, I don't think, constitutionally <laughs> possible. Uh, although, who knows in this country at this well, point. Well, they're saying. Uh, yeah. They're saying <laughs> Donald Trump will change it yeah, so maybe. that he can make himself president. And then the life. Joe 33330. It's a bad lasting. A little uh, yeah, was, yeah. Yeah, that was Everyone awkward. knows he really communicates through Fortnite. Yes. I mean, <laughs> that's where you go to talk to Biden. Uh, everyone go add uh, Uncle Joe on your Xbox Live accounts. Thank you, gentlemen, Thank for you. being here. We'll see you guys tomorrow. If you agree with me, go to Joe 303-30 and help me in this fight. Thank you very much. Go to Joe 303-30 and help me in this fight. Go to Joe 303-30. How do you do, fellow kids? Thanks for listening to the news and why it matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.